talking about the key ingredient to healthy relationships. I know that some of you were here last week and you dragged your spouse back with you because they need to hear the key ingredient, bless God. Or not, or not. <laughs> Some of you, you, you have a friendship that maybe has gone south or you've got a marriage has been struggling, a relationship that might have been uh, strong at one time. And the whole idea of talking about juice is about finding the nourishment from the right tree that bears the right fruit. And so really this is gonna be an exercise of going through the very specific fruit of the spirit. But we start in the words of Paul in Galatians chapter one, verse six through seven. He, he talks to the church of Galatia. This isn't for people outside the church. This is for people that are in the church. And in the church, they've got issues. Guess what? Outside the church, inside the church, people got issues. Look at the person next to you and say, I've got issues, because <laughs> you do, you do, right? And then look to the person, your second choice, you know, <laughs> you've got issues. So here's what Paul says in Galatians chapter one. He says it like this, I'm astonished, I'm shocked. You blew my mind, everybody, that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, a different good news, a different message, which is really... If it's not the gospel, it's really no gospel at all. Later, he says in Galatians chapter 5, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. That's not, that's not God. There are times where I've heard people say, I, I know the Bible says it like this, but I feel like Jesus and I, we've talked about this and this is okay. That kind of persuasion is not you and Jesus. That may be you and Jesus, but that is not you and Jesus. That's you and Jesus Garcia, not Jesus Christ. Okay? That kind of persuasion doesn't come for the one who calls you. Because he persuades us down the right path. Moving on, he says, so I say, Paul says, walk by the Spirit. And you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. And we talked last week, a foundational message about the right fruit from the right tree. And we moved all the way back to the Garden of Eden where, where God displays many trees with, that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. But there were two trees specifically, the tree of life in the middle of the garden and another tree, he said, avoid at all costs, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It wasn't the tree of good and evil. It was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the enemy comes in in the form of a serpent and he talks to Adam and Eve and specifically Eve and he says, did God really say don't eat from the fruit? And she says, yeah, don't eat from the fruit of this tree because we'll surely die. And the enemy says, you're not going to die. You'll just become more like God. And I think that's our, our, all of our goals, if you love God, that we want to become more like God. But there are pathways to becoming more like God. One path is the way that Jesus lays it out. It is the one way, the only way. The way through is through Jesus and the real tree, which is the cross of Calvary, and Jesus and his spirit through our lives. But the enemy wants to provide all kinds of different paths. And you might even experience some fruit that seems pleasing to the eye and is good for food, and you think it might develop wisdom. It wasn't, it wasn't a cold shoulder or, or a, a spit-in-the-face-of-God attitude that caused Adam and Eve to eat that fruit. They weren't saying, we're going to we're, we're, forget you, God. We're going to go our way, and they turned their back on God. They wanted to be more like God, but they put that process in their own hands. You can't shortcut Christ-likeness. You can't shortcut the pathway that God has laid out. 
And yet culture wants you to shortcut by you being driven by whatever fruit is presented. What's the difference between that fruit and that fruit? As long as I'm not hurting anybody, as long as I'm loving people, as long as I'm a good person. You've heard that. I'm a good person. Being a good person is not the same than eating from the right fruit from the right tree. And so he says, walk by the spirit and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh because the desires of the flesh are like, how many of you have ever, ever gratified the desires of the flesh? Yeah, that was like at 7.30 this morning. Yeah, that was like Saturday. Yeah, that was like, you know, that extra piece of cake yesterday. You gratify the desire of the flesh. Nobody's perfect. We do these things. And the more we do those things, sometimes we feel like that can fill the void. But Paul's saying, walk by the Spirit. He goes on to say, the acts of the flesh or the fruit of the flesh are pretty obvious. Sexual immorality of all sorts. You know, of all sorts. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery. That's like excessive indulgence in something. Idolatry, it's probably not, you know, for you like some kind of totem pole or some, some kind of statue. For you, it may be friendship. For you, it, it, it very easily, even for me, could be self. That, that the idol, the idolatry is thou shalt have no other gods before me. But even in the garden, the God they put before God was themselves. When they wanted to be like God, they chose a form of idolatry and they ate the fruit of idolatry, really. Witchcraft, rebellion, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition. And I just love how, how we tend to kind of pick and choose some of these. And we've got selfish ambition and sexual immorality in the same issue of acts of flesh. They're all the flesh. And, and our, our flesh is just at war, at a tension between the Spirit of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is. And here's where I want everybody to help me. I want us to read this out loud together, starting with the word love. You ready? Let's go. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Keep going. Against such things there is no law. Nobody's writing a law saying, you better stop being patient. You better not have any joy. Oh, that's too much joy. You got a ticket. There's no law against these things activated in our life. And notice when I say key ingredient to healthy relationships, the fruit of the Spirit is not the fruits of the Spirit. It's the fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is going to be developed in all these things. You can't pick and choose saying, I want more love in my life, but that whole self-control thing, <laughs> it's all one fruit. And you can't, you can't just like choose it like you do pineapples and apples from Brookshire Brothers. If you, if you want to walk by the Spirit, all of these things have to become active in our life. And the truth is, we try really hard to make these things happen. We try really, really hard. And yet, we can come up lacking. We fall short of the purity of these realities in our life. Today, we're going to pick one of the sides of the fruit of the Spirit. And that is... Love. And you may, you may be asking the question today, I want to know what love is. I want you to show me. Okay, I will later. Take my breath away. Anyway, let's talk about love. L is for the way you look at me. O is for the only one I see. Ready? Here we go. V is even, I don't really remember the, 
I love you, baby. We got all kinds of definitions and songs and billboard top tens for the idea of love. And culture is screaming at you to define love this way. And the word of God is revealing to you, this is love. And the question for us today is, how does love work in a love broken world? When we see the purity of love in the word of God and then we deal with the realities of love in our lives and in our marriages and our friendships and our families and we see that love that has gone through different seasons, in fact, in this kind of love that we experience, we got love that some of you are experiencing and when you think of love, it's exciting. It's hot. It's exciting. Some of you, love is exhausting. It's just like you just feel exhausted having to deal with certain things. And some of you, some of us, love is expired. I saw all of these three things yesterday on display in Angelina County. First one, exciting. I, I was standing in front of a bridal party and a groom and a bride, and I led them in the exchanging of vows. And even when the doors opened and the father of the bride had the bride by the hand and they began to walk, the groom was like, whoo, out loud, whoo, like that. He's excited, excited. And then just a few hours later, Jane and I are going through a drive-thru to get some Coke Zero somewhere. And there in the parking lot of the fast food restaurant, um, we saw uh, a father on this side and a mother on this side. And we saw a little seven or eight-year-old girl with blonde curls squeezing her daddy so hard, her face red, bawling, tears, tears, tears. And there, the door opened in the other vehicle, an older daughter, upset in the face, and realized pretty quickly what was taking place. It was an exchange moment where the kids were going to go from daddy to mom for the weekend. And, and there was some feeling of love that had expired with the fam, with the parents. And then there was this, even with the kids, like exhaust exhausted emotionally having to deal with the reality of love that had been broken. So how do we really begin to understand love and then activate love when we ourselves are very, very imperfect, where we don't have the capacity for perfection when it comes to love? How do we go from experiencing love in our families and in, in marriages, even in, in uh, thriving marriages or broken marriages, relationships, sibling stuff, people that, were, that, that violated you, and how do you get beyond that? And, and how do we start fresh and be able to see love activated in our lives? Well, that seems like a pretty hard task, but the word of God gives us direction and we wanna lean into the word, lean into Jesus today to really understand where that comes from. So take your worship guide right there and there's some fill in the blanks. I'd love for you to, to take this. And while you're getting those out, I just wanna take a moment and just welcome those of you. Over the last several weeks, we've been doing church online. We've been live streaming our services and the number of people that are probably out at the lake or traveling or doing that, I know those, those numbers have increased during July 4th time. And so I just wanna welcome those of you that are watching online. And hey, Timber Creek family, would you give a warm welcome to all those watching online today? Glad you guys are with us. 
You may not have a worship guy with fill in the blanks, but you can follow along unless you're driving. Don't do that. Don't do that. All right. So popular misconceptions on love. Let's, let's take a peek. Number one, one of the biggest cultural misconceptions of love is love is a feeling. Feel it. Experience it in that way. That it's a feeling. Song after song after song. There's just a feeling. It's an ocean of emotion. It's a liver. It's a quiver in my liver. It's just a feeling that I just can't. I just can't. I can't fight this feeling anymore. Sorry. I'll try not to sing anymore. I promise. It is a feeling. And so I just. I, I fooled around and fell in love. I told you I wouldn't sing anymore. But I lied. That's why I've titled this message, I Fooled Around and Failed <laughs> in Love. Because many people, they've thought that love is a, a feeling. And can I just tell you one of the most important things about your feelings? They will lie to you. They are liars. You can feel a certain way and they lie to you. Well, I just felt it. I just felt it in my heart. Yeah, they were lying to you and then laughing about it. Your feelings will lie. Because love is way more than an emotion. Number two, love is uncontrollable. What a misconception. I just, I just couldn't help it. Where love for a spouse had cooled and there was an intersection where you met someone else and I just, you can't control who you love. <clears throat> that is an X on Family Feud, everybody. It is uncontrolled. That is wrong. You, you can control, but, but, but we use that as a misconception. You're just going to, you are, you're going to love who you love. It's, it's just, it's, it's just in the air. You, you, you just can't really control the way you respond to love. So the proper perspective, that's what the culture would say to you. It's a feeling. If the, if the feeling is gone, then the love wanes. I just don't, I, I don't feel the same way anymore as they separate and divorce. Well, that's not, that's not love. That's a feeling. And love transcends feelings. The proper perspective, number one, would be love is a matter of choice. We choose love. It's a commandment of God. Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God. And everyone that loves knows God and is born of God. He that loves not doesn't really know God because God is love. It's a choice. It's not... A, a characteristic that is dictated to us that we can't control. It's a choice that we make every single day. It's a choice. Look what the Bible says in Colossians 3. And over all virtues, over all these other virtues that you could have, put on love. Put on love, which binds them all together. You, you don't, you, it is a choice to put it on. It's also a choice to take it off. We put on the love and it binds together all the other virtues. Number two, love is a matter of conduct. It's not just a matter of feeling. It's not an emotion. Love is shown in action. Look at, look at this. Let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and truth. I'm sorry, baby. I'm sorry, baby. I'm sorry, baby. I love you. I love you. I love you. I'll never do it again. I'll never do it again. I love you. I love you so much. I love you. I love you. I love you. Words or tongue. I, I, a few years ago, went into a fantastic Sam's to get my hair cut. I, I know. And, and uh, uh, 
that went in. It was Olathe, Kansas. Went in to get my hair cut. Was going to a meeting and I was shaggy and I said, I need to get a haircut. And I went in to a place I'd never even been before. And, and as I was walking in to get the haircut, there were, 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 was this couple that were in a serious fight. Like almost knock out, you know, knock down, drag out fight in the parking lot. Okay. And I go in and I, I'm waiting to get my haircut. And then the, the girl comes in, the guy's out there huffing and puffing, you know, and, 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 and you know, you can't really hear what he's saying anymore, but, but, but she comes in and she's cutting my hair. <laughs> she's intense. A couple minutes later, the boyfriend pushes the doors open and yells across the salon. Okay, she cut my hair. He goes, pushes the doors open, he says, I love you, girl, <laughs> and walks out. And I mean, I feel the scissors trembling in her hand. He just trying, you know, words and tongue, and but his actions sure weren't speaking. Like, you know, let's go grab dinner. Here's some flowers. You know, it's pretty intense. With actions and truth. And so where do we get the right actions? Where do we get the truth? We go back to the final authority of our lives, the moral compass for our lives, the, the word of God. And the word of God became flesh and lived among us. And so the way Jesus teaches, the way Jesus loves, who Jesus is and his word, they become the signal for actions and truth. And Paul, inspired by God to write the words of God, which, by the way, the Bible says that the Scripture is God-breathed. It didn't say the Scripture is God-dictated. And so through personality and style of Paul, he writes a breathed message of God, an anointed message to give us the words in Colossians, in Philippians, in Romans, in Galatians, where we're spending a lot of our time. And it's Jesus, the breath of God, the Spirit of God through Paul that shows us. And in 1 Corinthians 13, known as the love chapter... It's not just for weddings. It's a guide to understand the actions and the truth of real, pure love in our lives. And he begins to describe the personification of love, the elements of what love looks like. And as I go through this list, I want you to do this. I want you to take a mental, like a mental exercise, spiritual inventory. And as we go through each one, I want you to, to kind of do this, like a perfect in my life. You don't do it physically. Like, don't actually do this. Um, but, but thinking, yep, yep, good. Oh, I don't know. Oh, boy, that's not, that's not great. Just think about that, you know, to yourself on where are you on this, on this list? Oh, yeah, killing it. And your spouse says, please. You're like, well, I don't know. Or, oh, I got to do better. Okay, let's look at it. Love is patient. Love is kind. I'm very patient. I'm very patient. I got no patience for anybody that's not patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It doesn't dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Oh, man, let's all just go home. Oh, here's one, especially in our political climate these days. This one really attaches to more of some of the, the economic and political things in our society today. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. 
Now let's pause on there for a second. And let's say that we broke you down into two categories. There's more than this, these categories politically, but let's just break you down to, um, let's just make two up, uh, Republicans and Democrats. Okay, here we go. So you, some of you are Republicans, some of you are Democrats, all right? And let's just say that um, the opposite candidate, if we were to back up time and we were going to election season, okay, and we, we back up and the opposite candidate of your political party like the news breaks and there's something that they've, they've done that was evil or wrong, okay? Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. Are, are we quick to delight when the opposite party, somebody reveals something about them? It's like, yeah, yeah, they're going to they're going burn now. Politically, I mean, hopefully you're not saying like I'm burning hell. Like that would be a whole different topic. But... Or what if the opposite political party, that person, male or female, it says they did one thing and then truth, the truth actually is revealed and they weren't guilty of it. Would you say, oh man, I rejoice, at least the truth came out. Or be like, I don't care, I'm not going to believe it anyway. See, love doesn't just hang on to something because of a preference. It doesn't delight in evil, whether you believe in somebody or not, and it doesn't rejoice, it, it, it rejoices with the truth whether you are affiliated with them or not. See, love is this activity in our life, this choice, this action that we don't get to pick and choose displaying that love. Paul goes on, love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Wow, what a list. The love chapter. How you doing? If I were to display on a scroll, a layout, or on a t-shirt, show you where I'm not so strong, I'd be embarrassed to wear that t-shirt probably. Because I just haven't really gotten a, a perfection handle on all of love. And there's a really big problem with this list. There's nothing wrong with the list in and of itself, but there's a really big problem when it comes to us and our humanity and the list that we just read from Paul that's God-breathed that describes what love is. There's this disconnect. I want you to write down some of these really big problems that we face every single day. Number one, this love is not produced through willpower. To be patient and to kind and to not envy and not be proud and not rejoice uh, in, in others' demise but rejoice in the truth and, and to, have, to credit others with good intentions. That love is not produced through you biting your bottom lip and trying and trying and trying. Let me give you an example. I've got, this, uh, I've got these two, two, two things here. This is a little Nerf basketball that comes with the hoop. And if I, with my own strength, if, if, I, if I want to, um, I can change the way this looks by applying enough pressure, by squeezing really hard, I can, I can almost make it disappear into my hand, not quite, and I can change the, the look, I can change the way this Nerf ball looks. But the moment... The moment I release pressure, the moment I, I stop trying to restrain the Nerf ball, the moment I let up, what happens? What? 
it goes right back to normal. It goes right back. But then I say, oh, okay, 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 I'm going to do it again here. And I mean, I got to exert some, some pressure to keep this thing tied up. And then I let my guard down and I, I loosen up or I get too tired and, I, and it, it goes right back. Many times people in their own strength, they're not walking by the spirit, they're walking by willpower. They're not walking in the strength of Jesus and the spirit, they're walking and trying to just say no one more time. And, and what they do is through the willpower, they just say, okay, I'm going to bite my bottom lip and that is a different gospel. That is a gospel of what I do, not what he has done. And so... I, I'm going to love, I'm going to be patient, I'm going to be patient, I'm going to be patient. I'm not going to say those words anymore. And then, man, it was just a tough day. I'm so tired. I'm stressed out. And I let down my guard. And what happens? It pops right back. And the things you don't want to do, you did. And the things you said you'd never do again, I'll never say that again. I promise. I'll never do that again. I apologize. You, you let up. And it's just, you can't change yourself through will power alone. Now that doesn't give you a license to never try or work hard at development. Discipline doesn't feel good at the time, but as you continue to live a disciplined life, it does produce benefits that outweigh the pain in the moment. But see, there's a difference between your willpower and something else that that is like this double shot energy that I drank right before the first service to use this as an illustration. And then they went and bought me another one because I needed another can. So I'm a little hyped up right now, everybody. I'm juiced. <clears throat> anyway. So this can, if I do the same thing, if I, if, I, if I apply pressure on this can, now what has happened? See, the right hand applying the right pressure to the, to the right element can produce change that lasts. And the hand of God wants to take your heart and truly change it, not crush it, but change the structure of it, change it. And as you change the heart of a tree, the health of the tree from the inside out, it produces good fruit. You don't start with picking a piece of fruit and making it healthy. It all starts in the heart of the tree. And the only way that you can truly experience supernatural, all of these elements of love is to allow the hand of God to change your heart and to see those things produced from the inside out. Because you and your own trying to, trying to make it happen, trying to fix that marriage, trying to bite your bottom lip, trying to do the right thing, trying to get the right counsel, and all those things are good things. But at the end of the day, you can't change your own heart supernaturally. You can change your decisions. You can change your attitude. But your heart is only truly changed supernaturally by Jesus himself. Otherwise, this is what happens. And we go back to the same old things, the same old issues. And we need supernatural change in our life. Number two. A morally good, serving, talented heart is not enough. <laughs> now, you would think if you go through starting point and you know God and find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference, and you're starting to wear a black T-shirt that's got Timber Creek on the front, then all of a sudden, man, that's like a, that is a, a, a program and a method that will, that will ex expose you to wonderful things that can help change you from the inside out. But you can go in to serve and do things and, 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 and go through the motions and really not have a supernaturally changed heart. How do you say that? Well, let's go back to the love chapter and let's look at this. 
before he talks about all the elements of love, he says to the Corinthian church, he says, look, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I'm a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. In other words, I'm hollow. I'm not really who I'm supposed to be, even though I'm doing these things that sound very Christian, that sound very holy, that sound spiritual. But if I have not love, there's an echo in my life. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, listen, that's not even the faith you need. Jesus just says faith of a mustard seed. And you have way more than a mustard seed faith. You got faith that can move mountains, but if you don't have love, I am what? So man, you can pray big and actually be praying without a supernaturally changed heart. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to the hardship that I may boast, persecution, but do not have love, I gain nothing. All these attributes, all these attributes of love, but the big problem is number three, I will not become these on my own. It is, it is the, the gospel is such a beautiful gospel because it's not about what you do, it's about what he's done. And for some of us, that's really hard because we just, we think it must be more than that. It's gotta be working hard. But when we work hard to obey his commands, we're not starting at the right place. The right place to start is not working really hard and trying to become these. That's, that's, that's the result of being in the right place where love can truly produce. You aren't good enough to become patient, always preserving, always protecting, never failing. You aren't good enough to do it. And so what do we have to do? We have to find the key ingredient in this love. Otherwise, what you're going to do is in the marriage, you're going to squeeze real tight and work really hard and then... When you get frustrated, you're going to let off the restraint. And there's not enough restraint and willpower that's going to change you from the inside out. The key ingredient is this. A supernaturally changed heart. Now, what does that look like? A supernaturally changed heart is produced by meeting and receiving love. Because love is a person. But can I go back? The church of Corinth, they had known God. They had followed in the Apostle Paul's footsteps. They, they had wanted to do good things. But they, even Jesus says, some people yell out, Lord, Lord, and will never enter the kingdom of heaven. It's because you have to truly meet and receive the love of Jesus. And all throughout the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13, love isn't a... a uh, it's not a list of poetic things of 10 principles that you need to do better. So leave today and go to lunch and talk to your friend, talk to your spouse, talk to your husband, talk to your wife, talk to your children about how to do love more. Because I just got just to grit your teeth and make it happen. It's more about meeting and receiving because love is a person. The way we learn to love is by receiving that kind of love. And some people, you've started on the, the wrong end of it because the way you receive love as a child wasn't appropriate love, wasn't pure love. 
and then trying to reproduce that, there's issues that can take place. And so if we try and only love the way our families loved, or we even try and to, to, to add in from the void of love we may have received from our parents, we still won't have the purest form. It comes back to meeting and receiving love as a person. Love as a person. Jesus is, God is love. And it's from that key ingredient of deeper and deeper relationship with Jesus first that other relationships begin to flourish. You cannot know what love is until you've actually received love. Frederick II was a Roman emperor. And Simon, his last name is, is a really long last name, was a monk during the time of Frederick II. And the, in his writings, in this monk's writings, he talks about how Frederick II took maidservants and took about 40 children. And um, you, you've heard other things like this, like the, the Russians did an experiment or something like this. But this is the, I, I actually, I researched this down as far as I could to really find where did this come from. It's not just a Snopes thing. And so in his writings, Simon the monk to Frederick II, they took these children and they separated this group of children. And it was an experiment to see, would the children automatically learn a language? Would they automatically begin to speak in Greek? Or would they speak in Hebrew? Or would they speak in Aramaic? If these maidservants never spoke to them, what language would they start learning? And would that be something they just are born in? Or is it something they had to be taught? Well, he learned a completely different lesson because what happened was maidservants on one side, they, they would change the children, they, they, they would take care of the children, and on another side, uh, they did not speak to them. They didn't even do, oh, go, 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 aren't you a pretty thing? Sorry, Casey, that was a little awkward, you and me, but, but uh, you're so pretty. They didn't even coo. They changed their diapers, they made sure they were fed, they didn't speak a word. And the monk writes that uh, over two-thirds of those children that didn't have communication and love expressed died. The, the lesson wasn't what would they speak. The lesson was by not showing them love, by them not receiving love, caused a deeper infection than any other kind of sickness. And they were very sick even though they were taken care of because they didn't have that kind of love. And you, you know it too. I mean, people that grow up and hard that they didn't receive love, that, that, that's tough on people. And only by knowing Jesus and really coming to a place where you stop trying to squeeze the, 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 trying to squeeze the love out of stuff, trying to restrain yourself. See, restraining yourself from an affair isn't what will keep you from having an affair. Restraining yourself from, from looking at pornography or restraining yourself from, oh, I want to say it so bad. I want to say it so bad. Oh, I'm going to all caps text this right now. It comes from receiving love and allowing that love to stir and change supernaturally your heart that will, in effect, produce good fruit. Stop trying to bypass the process. We're trying to produce fruit out here by willpower. Grow limbs, grow those, grow, grow those apples. And it's all about the heart first of the tree. So who is Paul talking about, do you think? When he says, 
Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. Who do you, who do you think he's talking when he personifies love? Because he could have said, you be patient. You be kind. You don't boast. And we'd all be saying, I'm trying. I'm trying not to boast. I'm trying not to be mean. I'm trying to be kind. I'm trying to understand love. I'm trying I'm trying to hang on. I'm trying to hold on to my, 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 my emotions and my sex drive and my hormones and all these things I'm trying really hard he says it's not another list of what you need to do he personifies who love is and so when Paul says love is patient who in the world who in the world do you think Paul might be personifying as love it's sure not me it's sure not you it's sure not Paul who's he personifying when he says love is patient well we read that the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, the Lord is patient with us. Not, anyone, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The Lord is patient. And because the Lord is patient, love is patient. When Paul says, love is kind, who could he be talking about? Well, the Bible says in Romans, it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Love is not self-seeking. You think he was talking about your spouse? No, he was talking about the son of the living God that even in the garden, hours before his arrest, uh, hours before his crucifixion, saying, Father, take this cup from me. And he pauses and he says, not my will, not, not my own self, not my, what I want, but your will be done. Love is not self-seeking. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Having been beaten within an inch of his life, having crown of thorns driven into his head, you want to talk about pain. Arms stretched out naked in front of a crowd. He says, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing keeps no record of wrongs love always protects you can read the word and you can find the name of the Lord is a strong tower the righteous can run to it and are safe like a squirrel trying to get away from a Rottweiler the name of the Lord is a strong tower you can run up to him and be safe the Bible says he that dwells in the secret place of the most high shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. It doesn't say he that dwelleth in the willpower of their own energy. It says when you get in and learn to fall more deeply in love with Jesus and just recognize your need over and over and over again for a pure, just surrendered heart to Jesus. That's the first step. It's the biggest step. And it sounds so easy <laughs> it's probably harder than you just trying to do it on your own because a lot of people end up taking that choice love always perseveres before he died he, he says on the cross it is finished it's done I completed it I did what I was called to do he persevered hell could not hold him 
back. There was no keeping him from persevering to pay for our sin and to provide access to God. Love never fails. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Great is his faithfulness. Great is his faithfulness. Love is a person. Paul says in Ephesians, I pray that Christ will be more and more at home in your heart, living within you as you trust him. You ever been somewhere new, had to move to a new location, had to shift gears, had to take on a new job and, and it, it been with a conversation with someone. You say, how you doing? How's the new place? How's the new house? How's the new city? How's the new work? How's the new boss? And maybe you said it stinks or you've said, you know, it's, I'm getting used to it. It's becoming more and more like home. You move into a new house and it feels new, but the more you put the pictures up and the more memories you make, all of a sudden it starts feeling like home. Well, this prayer is that Christ would feel more, that Christ will be more and more at home in your heart, living within you as you trust him, that Jesus himself would feel more at home. Does it mean he's not in there? Not active in your life? No. But there is a progression of more and more and more in love with Jesus. More and more in love with Jesus that you don't obey his commands out of fear of what he'll do, but you obey his commands just because you love him. That you learn patience because you've patiently waited on the Lord and just allowed him to speak that you learn kindness because you realize every day that his kindness has led you to repent of the big things and the little things that are all things. And you begin to know love so that you can act in love. You don't act in love to know it. You know him to act in it.